0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone once wrote, a smart person learns from his mistakes, but a truly wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And there is definitely truth in that. See, a smart person cannot avoid all mistakes all the time, but he or she will gain wisdom from those experiences, learn from what he or she has done. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was slow to learn in this way. In Daniel 2, he received an interpretation of his dream from the Lord, and God was so clearly telling him that earthly kingdoms would come to an end and that God's kingdom would remain forever. Nebuchadnezzar should have known that. In response, Nebuchadnezzar, he did praise Daniel's God, saying, truly, your God is a God of gods. However, despite those words, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was not truly changed. In Daniel 3, the Lord saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace when they refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image that he had set up. And when God saved them again, Nebuchadnezzar offered up words of praise to the Lord, saying, There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. You could see that God was a God of power, a God who saves. But again, his heart was not truly changed to someone who truly worshipped the Lord and acknowledged Him. This leads to our text Nebuchadnezzar's foolish heart led him to sin again. And this time he learned from his sin the hard way, the hard way. God would humble Nebuchadnezzar greatly until he acknowledged that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar would truly learn. Remember, a smart person learns from his mistakes or sins, but a truly wise person learns from the mistakes or sins of others. And the question before us this morning is, will we be wise? Or will we need to learn the hard way too? Or will we learn from Nebuchadnezzar's humbling experience? Will our heart be changed? Leads us to the sermon theme. Nebuchadnezzar learns the hard way that the Most High God loves humble kings. We have three points. First of all, the king's sin. Second of all, the king's humiliation. And thirdly, the king's exaltation. Now, I would like to begin this first point by making perhaps an interesting suggestion. And I would suggest that in many ways, King Nebuchadnezzar... Is the person in the Bible who is most like Adam, the first person God created. So Nebuchadnezzar, the the person in the Bible, most like Adam in many ways. Why do I say that? Well, consider Adam for a moment. Adam was created in the image of God. And he was created in God's image so that he might rule over the earth. The The Bible so often describes God as a king. And so it's no wonder that being created in God's image means ruling. That's what, what humans were made to do. Made in the image of God for the purpose of ruling. In Genesis 2, the Lord God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion or rule over every living thing. And we read the same thing in Psalm 8. David confesses there, You have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings, or God, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And many of those same truths are reflected in King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to how Daniel describes Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, but also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. There is an echo of Psalm 8 in those words. Notice that, like Adam, Nebuchadnezzar was crowned with glory. He, like Adam, ruled over God's created works. And God himself says the same thing in Jeremiah 27. There he says, It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. So, just as God originally gave the works of his hands to King Adam, so also he gave the works of his hands to King Nebuchadnezzar. Then there is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in our text. Nebuchadnezzar saw a great tree in the midst of the earth. It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant. It provided food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. Now what does that remind us of? Well, it reminds us of the Garden of Eden. It's a picture of peace and tranquility, a picture of prosperity and harmony. Sounds like a nice place you'd want to go. Well, the Lord allowed Daniel to understand the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and God told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, you, O king, are the tree. See, Nebuchadnezzar, like Adam, was meant to benefit creation. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a picture of how things could have been like under Adam's rule. It's interesting when you study history that King Nebuchadnezzar, he also built one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the Hanging Gardens. It was a massive uh, ascending structure full of a large variety of plants. It too is reminiscent of Eden and of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, I want to point out one more similarity between Adam and Nebuchadnezzar. We also see similarities in their sin. Let's first look at Nebuchadnezzar's sin in our text. Twelve months after his dream, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon. And then he looked out over that great city Maybe his beautiful hanging gardens were in view. Maybe the massive wall around the city of Babylon was in sight. Apparently it was wide enough that a chariot with uh, four horses could do a complete U-turn on top of the wall. That's how big it was. And As Nebuchadnezzar looked out over the city and saw all that splendor, he then said, Is not this great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar made a great boast. He said what only God could properly say. Remember what God said in Jeremiah 27, which I read earlier. It is... quoted earlier, it is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth. That's what God said. That's only what God can properly say. And Nebuchadnezzar, by his words, is trying to take the place of God. And that's what Adam and Eve did too. Satan tempted them in the garden, telling them that they could eat the forbidden fruit and so be like God. While they were already like God, they were made in God's image, instead they tried to reach for equality with God. That's what they reached for. John Calvin, with the help of Augustine, put it well when he described Adam's sin like this, indeed... Augustine speaks rightly when he declares that pride was the beginning of all evils. For if ambition had not raised man higher than was right, he could have remained in his original state. To have been made in the likeness of God seemed a small matter to a son of earth, unless he also attained equality with God, a monstrous wickedness. You know, this prideful attitude of self-exaltation is at the heart of our sinful nature. And it goes completely against the image of God that we were created in. Look again at Psalm 8. David, as king over Israel, writes about humans made in the image of God. And he looks up at the heavens, the work of God's own fingers, and he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. It's an attitude of humility. That's what we were created to be like. And So he declares at the beginning and end of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what we were created for. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He looked at the work of his own fingers and he said, look at man. How majestic is my name in all the earth. This is at the heart of our sinful nature. Nebuchadnezzar may be ruling over everything in creation like Adam. But his words here show that his sinful nature is ruling over him. Let me ask, can you see the same prideful attitude in your own heart, in your own life? It can arise out of our hearts in an instant, can it? We too have the same sinful nature. We look on our accomplishments in life, instead of giving glory to God, our heart's glory in ourselves. Or it can reveal itself in another way. We, we look at the achievements of others, and instead of thanking God for what He's allowed them to do, we're filled with anger, we're filled with jealousy. It's the same sinful nature. Our hearts so easily burst with pride. Pride. We should remember the words of Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And Nebuchadnezzar was about to understand this truth of Proverbs 16, verse 5. It brings us to the next point. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the tree looked magnificent. It was full of life. Provided life for many. But suddenly everything changed. A watcher, almost certainly an angel, came down from heaven and proclaimed chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Nebuchadnezzar's downfall was near. As Daniel interpreted the dream to him, he said, You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. So this was the dream. And Daniel gave the interpretation by the power of God. So Nebuchadnezzar, he knew it was coming. This wasn't the first dream he had interpreted to him. He should have known it was coming. He could have humbled himself already now before God, seeking God's mercy. In fact, that's what Daniel advised him to do. Daniel said, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. What good advice. God may have relented. And maybe Nebuchadnezzar, maybe he did change somewhat. Maybe he stopped turning the, the houses of people who angered him into piles of rubble. It seemed to be a favorite practice of his. But his heart was not changed. That's a lesson for us. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar. As you listen to the Word of God, is your heart changed? Do you struggle against the sins of your heart? Do you humble yourself before the Lord when He convicts you of your sin? Or do you hold on to the sins of your heart? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he kept going in his sinful pride. And maybe he thought, thought, oh, this sin, I don't even think it's a sin. It's no big deal. Remember, it's at the heart of our sinful nature. And so when Nebuchadnezzar spoke in boastful pride, God's judgment came upon him swiftly. The voice of judgment came from heaven even while the words were still in the king's mouth. It shows us that it's this specific sin that brought the judgment. It's similar to King Herod in the book of Acts. Acts 12 says that on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to the people. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not a man. And so immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's in Acts 12. It's the same swift judgment for King Nebuchadnezzar. However, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the tree was chopped down, but it was not completely destroyed. The stump of its roots was left in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. Nebuchadnezzar would survive unlike King Herod. And yet the judgment was still stark. He was driven from his throne and from among men. He was given the mind of an animal. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. His hair grew like the, the length of eagle's feathers. His nails became like the talons of a bird. And he ate grass like an ox. Now, we should notice something very significant in Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's pride was completely opposite of the image of God as displayed in Psalm 8. He looked at the work of his own fingers, declared how majestic was his own name in all the earth. So what did God do? He reversed the glorious picture of man in Psalm 8 in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. David confessed in Psalm 8, You have crowned man with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen also the beasts of the field. This picture is reversed in Nebuchadnezzar's judgment. Instead of gloriously ruling over the beasts of the field, he essentially becomes a beast of the field. Instead of ruling over the oxen, here he is with the mind of an ox eating grass. And This gives us a, big, a bit of a picture of God's end time judgment. God made humans to be rulers over creation, but those who by their prideful self-exaltation deface the image of God, they will lose their right to rule on the earth. And those who refuse to humble themselves before God will be humbled forever. And when that happens, there will be no possibility of, a re- of reversal either. Those who continue to rebel face an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yet for Nebuchadnezzar, this... Is graciously not the end time judgment that he receives. God was humbling him, but not forever. There was still hope of restoration. And while they live, there's still hope for restoration for all people who have rebelled. Now, why? Why is that? Why is there hope of restoration? Well, it's because of what the Son of God has done. You see, a tree representing another kingship was likewise chopped down, but not completely destroyed. Isaiah 11 refers to the stump of Jesse, and that's the kingly line of David and Israel. But Isaiah 11 says that out of that stump of Jesse, a humble shoot would come. This is the humble and righteous king, the Messiah. And through his rule, he would not eat grass like an ox. But Isaiah 11 says that as a result of his rule, the lion would come to eat grass like an ox. You see, through his rule, creation would not be turned on its head like it was for Nebuchadnezzar. But through his rule, creation would be restored. The lion shall eat grass like the ox. Not the man, the lion things would be set right again in God's creation. You see, the angel in his dream declared that these things would happen to Nebuchadnezzar to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And this is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God did in Christ. Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit without a sinful nature. He could display the image of God fully in his life. And he was not like so many of the kings of the earth who live for their own glory. He only worked for the glory of God. In humility, he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for, for many. Philippians 2 says about him, though being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, both Adam and Nebuchadnezzar tried to reach for equality with God, tried to grab hold of it, The Son of God did not consider equality with God something to be clutched onto, something to be exploited for his own gain. Instead, he willingly humbled himself. Look at all the inhumane things he was willing to go through. He was not drenched with the dew of heaven. But in order to save us from sin, Matthew 26 tells us he was even willing to be spit on upon by men. So much shame and humiliation he was willing to endure for you. and even died naked and bleeding on a cross, the most shameful, humiliating death. He did it willingly. Not against his will, fully willingly what did he gain he gained an everlasting throne the lord loves humble kings who work for his glory and that's what christ did and now he is forever crowned with glory because of his humility and suffering what are the benefits you gain from that Well, if you humble yourself before God because of your sin and put your faith in this King, you have a Savior who has paid for your sins. You have a Savior who takes away your shame. And you have a King who has provided the righteousness you could never provide to God He gives you salvation. Brings us to our last point. Now, what was it for Nebuchadnezzar? Well, by God's grace, he did humble himself before the Lord. At the end of the allotted time, he lifted his eyes to heaven. His reason returned to him, and he blessed the Most High God. He praised and honored him who lives forever, saying his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then we read, Nebuchadnezzar's counselors sought him out. His kingdom was returned to him and, and still more greatness was added to him. And then Nebuchadnezzar concludes this account by saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now what should we make of all of this? We might wonder, is Nebuchadnezzar converted? Is he saved? Of course, we don't want to speculate here. But let's look at some of the facts of this text. Nebuchadnezzar writes this to everyone on earth. He's the most powerful man on earth, but he writes to everyone on earth. And what a change to chapter three. In chapter three, he told all peoples, nations, and languages to worship his image. Now he's writing to those same people and praising the Most High God. What a change. He's also not afraid to tell them of his deep humiliation and time he spent as a, as a crazy man. You would think that after getting his throne back, he would just want to hide it from everyone. No, we won't talk about what happened. But he does not He tells the whole world. He wants to show them why he now extols and honors the King of Heaven. He even describes his story as, what the Most High God has done for me. And he declares how great are God's signs and wonders. By all accounts, it appears that he's a changed man with a changed heart. And while we always leave final judgment in the hands of God, he knows everything. There's also serious evidence that King Nebuchadnezzar has been saved eternally. Whatever the case, what we want to see from the facts of our text is this God can indeed humble the proud, even the most proud. It doesn't matter who it is. And you believe that he can still do that today. Think of the rulers of our world. Sometimes I wonder, what if the energy people use to complain about rulers or governments was instead used to pray for them? It's easy to complain about a sinful leader. It's another thing to get on your knees and seriously pray for his or her conversion. Do you believe that God can still do this? Really, do you believe it? Well, He can. And ultimately, He will humble everyone when everyone will bow before their knees before Jesus Christ. We must look at ourselves. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar. It's worth it to humble yourself before God. Don't learn the hard way like Nebuchadnezzar did. We've all sinned. Don't harden your heart towards God in stubborn pride. And yes, that can be difficult. It can be hard, especially as we go through suffering. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. He spent perhaps seven periods, of time, or seven periods of time, perhaps seven years as a crazy man, eating grass like an ox. He might have been tempted to hold on to his pride, keep shaking at his fist at God and saying, why did you do this to me? Maybe he would have thought, forget it, I don't want to serve the Lord. Look what he did. We might go through, we might struggle with those same thoughts as we go through suffering. That's the reason why many people turn away from God. If you're struggling, struggling with that right now, I'm not here to say it's easy. I want you to encourage you again, do not harden your heart toward God Let go of your pride. Humble yourself before him. It's worth it. Remember, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Or what did God do to Nebuchadnezzar? He exalted him. God will exalt you too. Those who humble themselves will enjoy the everlasting dominion of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Think of Nebuchadnezzar's dream again. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? It's a bit like paradise, a place you would like to go. Well, this is what the humble King Jesus Christ will bring about forever. His kingdom will never end. Amen. Amen. Let us now respond by singing together about the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, hymn 23.